Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. My friends, I want to challenge you today. I want to talk about the gospel. In what and in whom do you put your trust? It is easy to say, Jesus, but today I want to go deeper and challenge you regarding the gospel. Did you know that there are counterfeit gospels in the world today? There are counterfeits. There was, and there will always be counterfeits to God's plan, of course. But what do I mean by counterfeit plans or a counterfeit gospel? I mean those things in your life that bring you hope and fulfillment, good news, if you will, that encourages your heart and influences your actions. And you say, well, what is wrong with that? Well, I'll explain it to you. Thanks for asking. Paul was concerned with the early churches that they were beginning to lose their focus, their understanding of the gospel. He challenged them to remember the reason for their hope, who it was that removed their guilt and shame, and who it was that redeemed them to a new noble purpose. But apparently, they began to forget and wandered and followed other popular teachings. Hence, we have the book of Galatians and the book of Colossians and portions of, of course, 1 Corinthians. In most cases, they didn't forget Jesus, mind you, but they added to the gospel. And that's what got Paul riled up, okay? That's what got him to the point where he needed to write them and address them, and in some cases, kind of rebuke them a little bit. Paul addresses the Galatians with some alarm there in Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9. You can read along with me. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of God, in the grace of Christ, rather, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, this is pretty strong language. What would cause Paul to get that fired up other than the fact that the Holy Spirit was showing him that there was some counterfeit gospel that was beginning to make its way, leak its way into the early church? Hmm. He further addresses the Corinthians with a similar concern and points to the core theological reason. Listen to this. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, he's saying, you guys don't seem to have any resistance to some of these lies, some of these counterfeits that are coming in, seeping their way into the church. In these two verses, we see that Paul was seeing an attack against the church in two main areas. Now, we know he, he deferred to something, when I say theological, he was talking about Eve, he was talking about the garden. 
And whenever you hear Paul doing that, or ever you see some reference to the book of Genesis, hermeneutically, that means they're tapping into some serious theology. So Paul was saying, look, deception is what started this whole thing. And deception will be the enemy's continued attempt to try to influence or to hurt or hinder the church. In these two verses, we see that Paul was seeing that attack against the church in two main areas. One, false gospels. And number two, false saviors. I want to deal primarily with the first one today. With this in mind, we really need to be on guard for both, don't we? But let's take a look at that false gospel gospel today, and let's compare it to the real McCoy, shall we? Let's look at the first one. Now, there are others, but as I've been praying, these are the ones that God showed me, and I want you to hang on. And and it's going to take some time for you to think about, okay? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to really open our hearts. Matter of fact, let's do that right now. Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds today that we might hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to us. Lord, I sense that this, this, this message, Lord, is going to have rippling effects, God, that is going to be something that we're going to sit on and camp on for a while in our thoughts, cooperating with you. So, Lord, I pray, help us. You're the only one, by your word, that's able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Lord, letting us see that which is purely truth for our lives today, in Jesus' name. Amen. The first false gospel I want to talk about is the gospel of anonymity. Okay? The gospel of anonymity. People are hiding behind this lie. And we hear things like, I will never be held accountable for anything that I ever do. Now, people may not be saying this out loud, but I think it is a heart attitude that Christians have begun to embrace. And that I think, you know, some people talk about greasy grace or sloppy grace. But I think we're entering into a time where if, if you were to look at the book of Revelation and you were to examine the bowls that, that John was seeing, we don't know, we, we, we would assume because the whole book is generally symbolic and allegorical, it still has its equivalent. And if you were looking at these bowls that were being poured out, it talked about deception being one of them. And could this be the lie that the church is beginning to believe? I can hide in the open, and no one will ever know. Boy, this kind of looks at the very beginning with Adam, who believed the lie of Satan, fell into sin, and then thought he could hide from the living God. And yet God knew him. Exactly. I call it a gospel because people take solace in it. I think that Christians, we have begun to believe this lie that just because there's a separation between that which is natural and that which is spirit, that there is no accountability or connection in between. And that means we're forgetting what really three-quarters of the Bible is all about, and that God is real, and that he's reaching, he's seeing. But yet, because we're in a, this popular culture, some people believe, theologians, pastors the same, and I, I put, certainly put myself in that place, is that we generally are losing the cultural battle. And as a pastor who's been serving for 30-some-odd years, I look at it, and it breaks my heart. See, I call it a gospel again, because we draw hope and peace from it. We think that we can be settled, that we can be secure, when really that's not true at all. Since the demonic spewing of Darwinism, people have taken false hope and the lie that there is no God. 
And that even if there was, he doesn't care about who or, or what we do. And yet, I think that is leaking its way into the church, into Christians' minds. People hide behind false identities, false Facebook names, false smiles, false religions, without knowing who Jesus is at all. Our heroes tend to be actors, athletes, musicians who glorify doing over being and content over character. This gospel causes people to hide, as Adam and Eve did. And God saw them, and he knew their every thought. And he called out to them, Adam, where are you? He knew exactly what. And the Spirit of God continues to call out to Christians today, where are you? Why are you in your thinking? Why are you doing this? Why are you, being, why are you listening? And you say, certainly not today, Pastor. What are you talking about? No, 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 I'm talking about, I mean, let's look at Paul. Paul was looking at the early church and saying, you guys are being led astray to the point where he felt like he really needed to rebuke them lovingly and say, look, you're listening to lies. And these were good-meaning people. These were book-writing people. These were people going out on, on the conference circuit. These were people that were gilded in gold and, and, and were important as far as the culture was concerned. And they were listening. And Paul said, you're being led astray. You're putting your hope in, in, a, in a wrong belief. Isaiah 29, verse 15 says, woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? This is a gospel of anonymity, to think that if people don't see me or watch me, you know what is so funny about this truth? Is that nothing could be further than what is taking place in our culture now. You buy something and you got an MVP card. If you, if you buy something from Amazon, you Google your Gmail. If you go anyway, anywhere, they got a data presence on you, man. They know us. They have no other time in history are things more exposed and out than in the open than they are now. And people are saying it's only going to get worse. Face recognition drones. I mean, you, we all just look at that and just, and yet we still walk in this, this almost diabolical days of thinking that nobody sees and nobody is watching. If we live in a world where even, where your life is being recorded in bits and data, how much more does God know the very hearts and thoughts and intents of every single human being on the earth? He knows it. He's always known it. We're only just catching up with it with technology. But yet we still take this lie of think that we can live when nobody's watching. If you're taking solace and hope and anonymity, this is a false hope, my friend. This is a lie from the very pit of hell. And it's not good news at all. It is a counterfeit gospel. The second one I see in our culture today is the gospel of ambivalence. Says the pollster, what do you think of ignorance and ambivalence today? Answers the man, I don't know and I don't care. You've heard that joke before. Another false sense of hope comes from selective ignorance or dispassionate thinking. We, led, we are led to believe that if we just trust the system or let others handle things, it's going to work out. And yet, 
what our culture wants to do is hurt us like cattle and get us get groupthink. Now, can, can I just be seriously honest with you? Who does that sound more like, the living God or the other guy? To get everybody thinking one thing, and, you know, it kind of reminds me of SpongeBob, you know, when, when uh, Sponge, you know, he has, you know, I'm sorry to quote SpongeBob, but how, how, you know, here it goes. He puts all those helmets on top of all the people down, and you know what I'm talking about, Devin. And they're all walking around, all hail Plankton, all hail, because Plankton always wants to take over the world. But anyway, <laughs> getting, removing passion. It's, 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 a, it's a gospel of ambivalence because if we can take away caring, does life not seem a whole lot more simple? I mean, take away problems. Take away, look, somebody comes to you and say, look, it's going to be all right. You know, you don't have to worry. We're going to take care of you. It's going to be, if you just think this way, if you just adopt these philosophies and isms, everything's going to be fine. When on, on this living earth has that ever been true? And we're being spoon-fed this. And Christians The scripture teaches us to know the spirit of what is taking place around us at any given time and to have discernment that is so critically, I mean, almost on a molecular level, but really it's spiritual to be able to know what is driving this spirit, not not in judgment, but at least being able to know, is this God? Is this flesh? Or is this the devil? And Christian, you should be able to know you should be able to know. And that's why this gospel of ambivalence is being so gathered up. It's being so believed. It's so being embraced. It's because it takes the hard work out of being a Christian. It takes the hard work out of being a human being on this earth. It's just like, if I can be carried, oh man, well that's good. If you can think for me, What's scary about the technology of our day is they're saying, look, if we continue to let Siri and whatever the names of all those people, you know, those electronic things, continue to do the thinking for us and filling in the blank, our brains are going to diminish. Is that what Jesus died for? Is that what God has created? See, God is a creator, and he made us to be very creative. You know, Imagine the faces of the German people who were forced to bury the emaciated, decaying bodies of the Jews who were left for dead and exterminated just a few miles from their homes. These people put their hope in not caring. If you ignore it, it doesn't exist, they think. If we don't bring it out in the open, then it doesn't matter. If we push it to the side, it will have no impact. Sometimes Christians operate under the false idea that being a Christian means just rejoicing in salvation and awaiting our bus heavenward. Meanwhile, people die every day without hope in their heart. Think of the unused potential, my friends. Think of all the gifts that are latent in the church that are never pulled out of their packaging that are never loaded and used. Ambivalence, well, let me, I'm sorry. 
I know a woman who was nearly 95 years old. She was dying, and a Christian came over to her to this faithful church member's house. This true story. And was about to leave, but thought, you know, I'm just going to make sure. So she turned around, went back into the home, and she found out that this woman had never asked Jesus Christ into her life. She received Christ on her deathbed. What gospel did this woman believe for 95 years? What gospel? What was she putting her hope in? Ambivalence is a sin because we're guilty of not using the wonderful power that we have been given. Remember, we are humans, and we need need hope to survive. Like water, we will find it. We will squeeze it out of the cactus plant. We will dig deep into the dirt, and we will drink from the dirty stream or even a stagnant, stagnant pool in order to survive. To the desperate, it is welcome relief, which is why false gospels are so easily received. They're like, they're like the, 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 the panacea. They're like the, the opiate to the masses. They're like what is sitting when we open that medicine cabinet that is so easily reached And it's a counterfeit of what God can bring, of what God died for. Jesus wanted people to see that he was the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to go back and look at the articles there. It says that he was the way, he was the truth, and he was the life. Not a way, not a truth, and not a life. Because that's what the Bible teaches. That's exactly right. He was, and he is, and always will be the fountain. But so many of us find ourselves on our hand hand and knees drinking out of a hoof print. Whatever might just barely keep us alive. False gospel, my friend. Not caring. Ignoring it. Going with the flow is no gospel at all. If you take solace in this and you say, I'm at peace because I'm safe from harm, safe from warfare, safe from retaliation, what I don't care about won't hurt me is the thought. You know, what what every culture has learned is that warfare is only a phone call away. Warfare in every one of our lives is crouching at our door. As a matter of fact, they'd be willing to say, folks, If you don't think you live in warfare already, then you are deceived. Why did Paul say, put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand when that evil day comes? Which, folks, do we not live in an evil day? Oh, my gosh. And sometimes it really, you know, and I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today. You know what? I love you here because it tells me this is important to you. And I think you understand it, but you're in a battle. The third false gospel, the gospel of wealth. I won't spend too much time on this, but we know it's very easy to put our hope in money and things. Is that not true? It's probably preached on more than any other thing in the church today. And I don't know that we we even preach on it correctly. Because God doesn't hate money. God wants us to be blessed. It's just when we start to make it the focus of our lives 
it's the, 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 the love of money, right? The wealth of the rich, though, in Proverbs 18, verse 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall or a wall too high to scale. And there are more billionaires in our culture today, more millionaires than have ever existed, And there is the wealth gap, no matter what people are saying. It is growing bigger and bigger. And, you know, there are those out there that want to burn buildings down and and, and hurt people over that concept. And I just say, you know what? Leave that alone. You serve a God who owns it all. And if you follow him, then God is going to give you exactly what he wants you to have. And if he gives you a lot, then he wants you to be happy and he wants you to share. If he doesn't give you very much, then don't look at what the money you got in your pocket, but look at the strength in your body and the words that can come out of your mouth and the service that you can lend because money, labor, and gift. God says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And the way I look at that is we're all in ministry. Yeah, you want me to get up in the morning? You might go do something else. I mean, you might go teach. You might go make widgets. You might go, you know, admin, administrate things. You might be involved in, in, in taking care of, of poor people and things like that. That might be your deal. But look, that's your ministry. And God called you to be salt and light in the middle of that. The ultra-rich, the ultra-rich today are putting their hope in their wealth. The newest craze in Hollywood is the pursuit of immortality. They're using everything from herbs, vapor locks, and freezing their bodies to slow down and even reverse aging. We can laugh, but nobody did. I I thought that was interesting. You're looking at, oh, really? Do they do that? Honey, get that number. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) We can laugh, but this thinking is rising. And what I mean is not, not all that, but just the idea of, you know what? If man, can we actually turn this thing around Can we not create the ziggurat of life and reach to the heavens and become like God and that we don't have to submit to death anymore? You look at that, and we all can just, ah, that's kind of silly. Uh Uh-uh, that's what's going on today. That's where this world has taken us. Once again, there's nothing new under the sun. Not at all. Man is touting this knowledge building, again, that ziggurat of knowledge toward the heavens and challenging God with a new gospel, the new good news. We don't have to die. We can't. You can't make us go. I I, I heard a quote from a a billionaire who said, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to let it take me. And God looks down and says, it's appointed to a man, every man, wants to die, and then the judgment. The lie is, with enough wealth, I can be happy and content. What the Bible says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6.9. It's a false gospel, and it's leading people astray. Now, I've brought you to the point of utter desperation, have I not? So let's finish here. There are some other Gospels, and I'll just hit them quickly. The Gospels of pleasure, the Gospels of environmentalism, 
the gospels of intellectualism. Christians are being drawn away to put their hope in false ideas that God loves them so much that he wants them to be happy and do whatever comes to their senses. Surely God loves me. And it's this gospel of love that has become, you know, it's like honey. But you're the fly. And you're going to get stuck in the honey. And see, God says, look, I have prepared, I've given you many good things in the garden. Uh Uh-oh. But of that tree... Don't eat. And that tree represents so many things in Scripture where God says, look, you need to trust me on this. That You, know, you don't need to touch that stuff. You don't need to get involved in pleasures like sex and drugs and alcohol. They're never going to, to replace the happiness that only Jesus can fill. It is a false gospel. Pleasure is immediate, but it's not lasting. I read an article from a leading sports orthopedic surgeon that is begging parents. You're going to like this, Kenny, and and our doctors in the room. This orthopedic surgeon that is begging parents, just literally begging parents to stop pushing their children into an inordinate amount of sports activity. He says, you're hurting them. You're damaging their bodies and their minds. He sees children as young as 12 years old with battered bodies of an adult. You're supposed to be leading them. You're supposed to be teaching them the value of, and the balance of life with Christ at the very center. What are, what are they learning? What gospel has this become, Christian? We take solace in saving Mother Earth. You know, I'm all, all for taking care of our planet. I like to pick up trash, and I like to drive down the road just like anybody and see it clean. But when it becomes the seedbed for political gain and a platform for controlling people through guilt and shame, it is wrong, and it's grossly out of balance. When we find more joy from saving the planet than saving people, we are believing a false gospel. Right. Now, some people would say, well, you are saving people. Um, Folks, do you know there are a lot of really smart people out there to think that the problem with the plant is you. It's me. Being here. Drinking water like I'm water. I mean, the, the fact that I need water and I, I put, the moment I put it in this plastic bottle, they think that I'm from hell. And that I am, should be destroyed. I need a drink here. So. <laughs> anyway, I read in the notes, Selah. Think about this. Look at 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Even since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, Noah's flood. By the same word that the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter's saying, don't forget. Don't forget. You must think about saying, so where is the good news in all of this? The point is, we have 
a real gospel, people. We have a wonderful gospel. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of all mankind, the hope of every single soul on the planet, the hope of our, for our past, the hope for our present, the hope for our future. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Paul found Christ. It was shaken to his very core. Here he was, a man who was filled with passion, only it was all wrong. He was destroying and killing God's people. God knocked him off his his donkey, blinded him, and said, look, from here on out, buddy, you're going to serve me. And you're going to be shown how much you're going to suffer for my name. Christ shook his world, and he's willing to shake ours as well. He got to the point where, where Paul finally got on his knees when Ananias came to his house and he said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Where are you in your life, my friend? What gospels are you believing? Because it won't be long before God who loves you very, very, very much is going to interrupt your life. And Jesus kept on talking about where do we place our house? You remember that, remember that parable? Talk about building our house on the rock or building our house on the sand. See, that's long-term thinking. See, a lot of times you think, well, man, I built my house on the sand. It's been there for 10 years. So what's up with you? Well, okay. See, modern moralists, hedonists, people of, of an atheist of the day, they do just like what Peter was saying. They look up to the heavens and they scoff and they say, he ain't here today. Where is your God? Where is the promise of his coming? But those who love Jesus, those who know him, those who have reached out to him, know that every single day could be the day. And because he said, I'm coming, we're not going to forget it. We don't need to forget it. Even if we chase after false hopes, we can come home today to the real lasting hope, the simple message Colossians 1, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. I'm going to back up. This is the gospel, folks. This is Paul cutting through it all and just saying, look, that's a lie. This is the truth. You were once alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil works, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move. I'm going to say that again. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and this, and, that, and, and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We know that Jesus said, Look, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to show you my love. I came to tell you my daddy has sent me here to save this thing and to give you an opportunity. The woman at the well says, look, we're worshiping up on that mountain over there in John 4. He says, we already got our religion, man. We got our gospel, and we put our hope in that mountain. We put our hope in that political system. We put our hope in that person. We put our hope in those ways. We put our hope in science and all of that. And popular thinking. Popular thinking has never changed the truth of God's word. Never. It never will. 
She pointed to the mountain. Jesus said, um, excuse me. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And she said, he says, you know, if you, she says, do you need a drink? Do you want some water? He says, look, if you knew who I was, you would ask for me a drink, and you would never have to drink again. And she goes, oh, man, well, give me the drink. Dip it down. And he says, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. He says, I am the fountain. If you will drink of me and only me, then you will never be thirsty. You will never have to suck the dirty water of this culture. You will never have to find yourself in a place where you are emaciated, where you're barely holding on because you've been drinking from the, from, from the, the wrong waters. Your, your guts are, are torn up with parasites that you take in from the lies and the infections, the viruses and bacteria of this world. But if you drink of the pure, unadulterated truth of God's word and believe it, then God is going to take us through every bit of what, what's in this world. He said through the fire, not be burned. He said walking through the flood and not drown. He didn't say you're not going to ever walk through floods or fire. He said you're going to go through that, but you're going to come out the other side going, wow, what just happened? Jesus said everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, pointing to the well, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And I love that. He's not just saying, here's your, here, here's, here's your thumb, you know, thumb uh, thimble of, of, of water today. That's not what he said. I love it. A fountain, man. A fountain. Jesus knows exactly what you need today to bring contentment to bring joy, to bring real lasting peace. Pleasure? Sure. God wants us to understand pleasure. He wants us to understand it and embrace it in the context of righteousness and in his ways and in his timing. To have a hope for the future because, see, when we believe a counterfeit gospel, we may have a present, but we have no confidence in our future because only Jesus can guarantee that. So I call to you today, put your hope in him. Put your hope in him alone. Do not look to the false gospels or the false saviors. Why be led by the blind? Jesus is ready to lead you to the greatest life you could ever hope for. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. Let's stand up this morning. If I could have our prayer teams, please come. We're going to finish here doing a couple of things. First of all, if we'll all bow our heads and close our eyes. I just saying one last thing to you. You know, the Bible is full of joy. Jesus talks about the, the wellspring. But one of the things that I have noticed, and it's very hard for the young 
to understand this. A teenager today who's, you're thinking of your future ahead and you're wondering, you know, when will my day come? We stick the earbuds of music in our ears. We, we run with our friends. I want to tell you, young people, are you biting into ambivalence? Are you biting into anonymity? If you just go off and find your own little zone, God says, no, don't go there. I want to meet with you. I want to speak to you. I want to give you a wonderful life beyond your wildest imagination. The kind of life that you can look back and say, I, I can't describe my gratitude. For the rest of us, as we, we sit and we think this morning and we wonder, Lord, how much have I been drinking of this? Lord, how much have I believed what I read in the news? And Lord, help me. Help us today, God, to spend more time, Lord, to be acquainted and beyond acquainted. God, to be knowledgeable to the point of complete memorization. Lord, your word. Psalm 119, the largest psalm and, and chapter in the, in the Bible, is all about the word. Isn't that something? Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So, Lord, we come. We come, Lord, humbly, soberly. And we ask, God, that you would receive us once again as we confess our need for you. And at times, Lord, our ambivalence, our desire for anonymity, Lord, our embracing pleasure, Lord, taking great joy in other gospels. Lord Jesus, you are the way. You are the life. You are all of our life. And there's nothing more. And you tell us it's going to be a fountain welling up. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill us right now. Fill us. Fill us with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Fill us with the peace of God that surpasses and goes beyond all human understanding. Come, Lord, and, and give us revelation. Lord, wisdom beyond our years. Discernment. Father, that is scary. So defined. So real. Lord, give us that kind of hope for our futures that, Lord, gives us a bright eye and the willing, a willingness to share it. So, with every head bowed and every eye closed all across this room. If you're in this room today and you're not for certain that if you died tonight, you've been, you've been believing a false gospel and you've been holding on to something. You know, it, Jesus is the elephant in the room for you. You know he's there. You know what he's asking. But remember, my friend, that no one knows the day nor the hour of his coming. No one knows the day or the hour of our death. Appointed man to live and to die once, and then the judgment. See, Jesus offers the gospel of hope for you today. 
So if you're in this room right now, you want to ex- accept Christ as you save. You want, you want to make sure. You want to nail it down right now. Don't wait another moment. Because vast amounts of the joy of God are waiting for you. And that hope. And what is that worth? Everything. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'll just raise your hand up. You want me to pray for you. To give your life to Christ. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? You don't want to leave without praying. Lord, we pray for this one. And anyone else, just under your breath, say, Lord Jesus, I accept you. I receive you. As the King of kings, the Lord of lords, my Savior. I know that every mouth will confess and every knee will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. And I do that today. I accept your gift of salvation and I receive you as the Lord of my life. Now lead me. Teach me. In Jesus' name.